Hope you've had a great morning already. Uh, for those of you I don't know, I'm Rob. I want to add my welcome to what you already got from Susan at the top of the service and Brian, the rest of the worship team. Uh, we have two teaching pastors here at Fellowship, myself and Lloyd Shadrach, and we have two campuses, and we split between the two. We've all been together in this series, as, as we do here. Uh, we pick a book of the Bible, in this case, an extended portion of the Scripture, and we just walk through it verse by verse. And we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, really since the fall. We took a short break for Advent. But can I just say I've loved studying this passage of Scripture with you all. All of Scripture is amazing. The whole Bible is incredible, of course, but there has been something unique and special about being in the very words of Jesus together for an extended period of time. It has made me love Jesus more. I hope and trust it's done the same for many of you. In Lloyd's message last week, he talked about arriving at the summit of the mountain. If you, if you think about the, the shape of the sermon like a mountain, you know, ironically, the Sermon on the Mount, think of it like a mount, mountain. And the summit has to be the golden rule. You know, everyone knows it. So few live it. And Lloyd taught that last week. And then he continued through the text. And he said, we've, we've hit the summit. And what happens next? Well, you begin your descent. And so the section of the rest of the sermon, so this week, and we've got two or three more messages here, it's a descent. In other words, we're, we're coming back down, so to speak. And the way that it works is if you're a mountain climber, you probably know this. I didn't know it till Lloyd shared it. More fatalities happen on the descent than any other part of the climb. And so it's appropriate Jesus ends this sermon with some warnings, four warnings. Last week's warning was enter by the narrow gate. This week's warning, beware of false prophets. And then there are two more that come to close out the sermon that we'll cover in the next couple of weeks. Jesus warned the disciples because he loved them. And so you have to hear the words of Jesus through that filter, through a filter of love. He desires life for you. He wants that so badly for you, he was willing to die for it. When Jesus gives us a warning, he always does it out of love. I think today's warning is particularly urgent for us in our time. Since the very beginning, human beings have been at the center of a battle for our minds. If you think about it that way, the very first strategy of Satan, the evil one, was to distort truth. Jesus describes him as the father of lies, the deceiver. His goal is always to twist our minds into believing things that aren't true and, and not usually 180 degrees away from truth, oftentimes just five or 10 degrees. But that's enough to take us down a different path away from Jesus who is truth. And so I just imagine Jesus, as he's starting to wrap up his message here with his disciples, one of the things on his mind is he says, I've been with you. The, the, he, the truth himself, truth incarnate, has been teaching, has been loving, has been sharing now for an extended period of time with these disciples. And so he's saying, listen, you're gonna have some other voices in your life as well. You need to beware of false prophets. And, and I just wanna apply this to our day and age. Truth is harder and harder to come by, isn't it? It's much more difficult now than ever to say, this is truth and that is not. You know, people say, well, how do you know? You can find out there in our information age, information and data and perspective and opinion to back up almost anything you want to believe. 
you might think of it this way. It seems to me we are in a particularly fierce moment in the battle for the minds of mankind. And for that battle, God has given us his word. His word is true. Here's what that means. The words of this book are words of life for us because in truth, we find freedom. John chapter eight. In truth, we find life. And so Jesus, as John describes him, John chapter one, Jesus is the word of God made flesh. He's the word made flesh, the word incarnate. And so the word made flesh loved his disciples enough to give them a warning near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, beware of untruth. Beware of the other voices and influences and leaders in your life who will want to just take you off just by a few degrees off of myself who is truth. And so today he's coming to us with that same message because he loves us as well. And as we say here, you know, we read the scripture and we say, this is the living word of God for us today because he's still speaking through it. It's alive, it's active. So we come to our text and we'll put it on the screen and I will read it for us and then I'll go back and dig into it. Go ahead and open your Bibles if you haven't already. Matthew chapter seven, we'll start in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the living word of God for us today. Let's start with verse 15. The main idea is right here. Honestly, the first four words of the text essentially carry uh, the whole text in a way. Everything else that we're going to read supports it or explains it. And so Jesus is saying these first four words, beware of false prophets. Now, really where he's going with this is he's saying a, a prophet in scriptural context is someone who claims to speak for God. Someone who says, this is the way, this is what God wants us to hear. Thus saith the Lord, so to speak. Now, don't let your mind get too caught up on, well, the prophets were, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Jesus is saying, beware of, you know, people like them. You know, that, that's an idea here, but I want to make it more broad for you. In the context that Jesus is teaching, he's really applying this to anyone and everyone who would make a truth claim. Someone who would say, this is what's true, because all truth is God's truth. Another way to think about it is anyone who would say, this is the path to life. This is the path to flourishing. This is the answer to the world's problems is going down this path. In a sense, that individual is a prophet. They're claiming to speak truth. They're claiming to speak for God. And so it could obviously be a teacher or a preacher or a writer. And in our context, it could be any kind of you know, um, blogger or YouTube video creator or podcaster or spiritual leader. And it's a good reminder to us that many people who speak truth claims are not speaking for God at all. So you have to beware. In other words, watch out, pay attention because there is a lot at stake. And so that's the main idea. Beware of false prophets. And then, then the rest of the text this morning, Jesus is gonna teach us two lessons about false prophets. Lesson number one is right here in the rest of, of verse 15. 
and my pencil is not working. Ooh, it just sprung to life. Oh, here we go. Okay, beware of false prophets. And then the, this next part is the first lesson about false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Here's the first lesson about false prophets. False prophets don't look like false prophets. That's the deception. They look great. They sound great. Their words have the ring of truth about them. It's what makes them so dangerous. So just imagine if you're reading an article online or you're following a blog or a podcast or a YouTube video, if someone just goes out there and they're just like, God is a joke, Christians are idiots, then most of you in the room are immediately gonna have your guard up. You're going to beware naturally. Jesus is not talking about those kinds of voices. He's talking about the kinds of voices that actually look like us. That's the context of the metaphor. He said they're, they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, Jesus is talking to sheep. He's talking to his disciples. He's saying, they're gonna sound like you. They're gonna look like you. They're gonna be like, yeah, biblical worldview, biblical worldview. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is truth. This must be truth. And yet inside, there's something more going on. He's saying they actually look good on the outside, but they're like ravenous wolves. Those are the ones you need to be paying attention to. So he, here's an image that we've used throughout the series that I think is relevant again. It's the defining image of this series as we've walked through it, the iceberg image. And remember, only 10% is above the waterline. The rest is hidden below the surface. And so the first time we introduced this imagery, we told the story of the sinking of the Titanic. And Lloyd made the statement, it wasn't the iceberg they could see that killed them. It was the iceberg they couldn't, or you know, the part of the iceberg that they couldn't see. So think about this in relationship to false prophets. Jesus is saying on the outside, it looks like there's nothing to fear. But dig a little bit deeper and they're as dangerous to you as a, a wolf, a hungry wolf is to a sheep. So here's the problem as Jesus is teaching this text, the problem you and I might be feeling is, okay, well, false prophets don't look like false prophets. So how are we going to recognize them? How will we know them? And that's lesson number two. And again, it's right at the start of the verse, Matthew 7, 16. You will recognize them by their fruit. So there's lesson number two. Lesson number one, false prophets don't look like false prophets. Lesson number two, you will recognize them, however, by their fruits. And then he goes on, and I'm not gonna dig you know, super long in the rest of these verses, but he uses this agricultural analogy and he's essentially saying, look, you know, a diseased tree can't help but bear bad fruit. A healthy tree can't help but bear good fruit. And he says it even more explicitly in the, in the verse that follows, you know, he says, every, every, or sorry, uh, it cannot, it cannot. And then he gets to every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. In other words, what are you gonna do when a tree is not producing what's it supposed to produce? Well, you're gonna use it for kindling. You're gonna use it for firewood. I do think there is some uh, allusion here to judgment that is to come, but fitting in the analogy itself, Jesus is just saying, if it's useless, if it's not growing, you're gonna cut it down. You're gonna make room for what is bearing fruit. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. So again, he restates that lesson. Now, the metaphor has shifted. Did you notice? From animals to agriculture, from shepherding to gardening. And Jesus is essentially using this analogy to say teachers and leaders are like trees. They can't help but produce fruit. Think about a tree. Even non-fruit trees produce fruit of sorts. 
leaves, flowers. Trees can't help it. It's what they do. And you can identify a tree by its fruit. Notice that Jesus is only giving two categories and he's saying this very explicitly in this text. The fruit is either going to be bad or it's going to be good. There's no middle ground. By the way, that's a theme in all four of these warnings in the last part of the sermon. So last week, there were only two paths. If you heard Lloyd's message, there's the narrow path, there's the broad path. This week, there's only two kinds of fruit. Healthy fruit, diseased fruit, good fruit, bad fruit. And as we go through, you're gonna see two choices in each of these warning passages. So here's what Jesus is saying with this agricultural metaphor. He's saying there's a law of nature at work. When you have a healthy tree, it produces healthy fruit. When you have a diseased tree, it produces diseased fruit. And that's how you will know what's under the waterline of a teacher or a leader or an influencer or anyone who's claiming to have the voice of truth. Not by what you see on the outside, not even necessarily by how their words sound, but by what kind of fruit they produce. And by the way, fruit producing takes time. So if a person is revealed by their fruit, then the fruit is evidence of the heart. Fruit is evidence of what's happening under the surface. Is their heart really being transformed by Jesus? Or is there a hardness of heart? You will only know ultimately by the fruit of the person's life. So here's another way to visualize this. We move from the iceberg to an image that's even closer to Jesus' exact metaphor, a tree. Think about this like the iceberg. There's a part of the tree you can see that's above. There's a part of the tree that you cannot see because it's below. You can't necessarily tell if the tree is diseased or not right away from the way it looks on the outside. It might have root rot, but eventually those leaves are gonna wither. Eventually that fruit is gonna be diseased. Eventually it's gonna shrivel up if it's not healthy underneath. So just as a tree's fruit is the ultimate measure of the tree, so a person's fruit is the ultimate measure of the person. Now, as we look at this image for another minute or two, I, I wanna make this note. Jesus isn't talking just about the fruit that's on the tree itself. He's also talking about the fruit that this tree produces. You think about an orchard. It grow, a tree grows fruit. The fruit drops down. It gets fertilized. It grows another tree. That tree grows fruit. You see, it's multiplication. It's multiplying itself. When you are influenced by a teacher or a leader of some kind, your life begins to show the fruit of their teaching, the fruit of their leadership over time. This is a law of how God made the world. This is why over time, students begin thinking like their teachers. This is why over time, followers begin acting like their leaders. So it's not just the fruit on the tree, it's the fruit that's produced around the tree as the tree multiplies itself. And again, this will either be good fruit or this will be bad fruit. Jesus is saying, pay attention to the fruit. The fruit on the tree and the fruit that's being produced in you if you're being influenced by the teaching, if you're being influenced by the leadership of this influencer. All right, so if you don't mind removing that image from the screen, here's where we've been so far. Let me just summarize, and then we're gonna apply. We have the warning. 
Watch out, beware, watch out for false prophets. And then Jesus teaches two important lessons about false prophets. Number one, false prophets don't look like false prophets. Number two, you will recognize them by their fruits. So the application has to be, well, what do I look for? What am I, you know, how do I recognize the fruit? What, what do I need to know about fruit, spiritual fruit? In, in, in other words, to recognize these kinds of things. And I wanna start with literal fruit. I thought it'd be fun to actually talk about fruit, fruit. So let's talk about literal fruit. I happen to have some right here. Let me pull in my bag and see what we have. I've got a lemon and an orange, a pear, Another, uh, there's like so many names for little oranges. You know, there's tangerines and clementines and cuties and all kinds of things. So I don't know which this is. I'm gonna call it baby orange. And a banana, let me set this fruit here. Now, um, we all know enough about fruit, hopefully where if you're shopping at the farmer's market or the grocery store, you're not gonna pick bad fruit. But it's actually some things going on in your mind as you examine. So I thought I would Google, you know, just pretending I knew nothing about fruit, which honestly is not far from the truth. I would Google, how do you tell if fruit is good? And of course, there's an answer for everything on Google. So I found some website, howstuffworks.com or something like that. And I, they have, you know, five easy steps. Step one, check the color. Okay, so let's look at the color. This orange is, well, it's orange, you know, but it's, it's got a nice color overall, I suppose. And this lemon is a nice bright yellow. I do notice it's a little still green right there on that little tip. That's probably fine, I'm assuming. You gotta know a little something about fruit to gauge it by the color. Now, this pear is greenish yellowish. It's mostly green on this side. It's got some yellow on this side. Is that okay? I don't really know. If I knew more about fruit, I could probably tell. And baby orange looks just like mama orange. So I think we're gonna be good there. Now, this banana... I think bananas are supposed to be more yellow than this. I, you know, that's just my experience. This is not a great looking banana. It's got more brown than it does yellow. Okay, that's step one. Step two, squeeze the fruit. According to the website, some should be firm while others shouldn't be as firm. If I don't know something about how the fruit is supposed to feel, this won't help me. Okay, so start thinking about lessons to apply this. All right, here's baby orange. Feels, feels a little soft, a little firm. This this pear feels, feels firm, but it's got a bit of a give to it. Now the lemon, uh, again, similar to the pear. And then the orange, a little softer still. And then this banana, well, <laughs> it's very soft. It is not feeling so good. All right, step three, check the stems. I did not know this was a thing. Some fruits like pears and cantaloupes should be a bit softer around the stem. Who knew? Here's my pear. Okay. I actually can feel that a little bit. It's a little bit softer around the stem, so I think that's good. That must be a good sign, all right? Step four, smell the fruit. Uh, honestly, I didn't really smell anything. I'm hoping I don't have COVID. Uh, I don't. I can smell that. Lemon, orange, definitely smell that orange. Nothing from that baby orange. Oh, that has a scent to it. Now, of all the scents that I smelled, this is the one, and it wasn't a terrible smell. This rotting banana was sort of like, it starts off good, but then it, it kind of goes twangy. And so my spidey senses are telling me something may not be right. And then the last step, according to this website, is look at the luster, which I had to Google exactly what that means, but it's like the sheen of this. So look at the luster 
Okay, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be looking for. I know these kind of have a sheen to them. This one is a little more dull and this one is very dull. Okay, I've done this. Now, if I bought the fruit and took it home, I could take it even further. The first thing I could do is I could cut it open. Beware the false prophet. <laughs> All right, now I'm gonna cut open, uh, I'm gonna go for the pear. And uh, I'm gonna cut this open. And I'm gonna examine it on the inside. Can you see that? That looks really good. I mean, I don't see any brown spots or anything. And I'm gonna look at this site. Now, it also is not making a goopy mess. I would think if it was spoiled, it would do that. And then the, the last thing that I can do is I can taste it. And I am gonna actually taste a bite of this pear and we'll see what it tastes like. Mmm. It's good. It's good fruit. By the way, Good produce is one of God's gifts to us, honestly. Now, what are the lessons that we learn from examining real fruit? I think here's the idea. In order to examine fruit, you have to get up close and personal with it. You have to look closely. You can't examine fruit from a distance. You don't know from just a casual glance. You have to get in and think and focus. In other words, engage your senses, pay attention, look closely. And if you know what to look for, you can distinguish good fruit from bad fruit. I was thinking about this. And I think one of the dangers for us in our day and age is that it's so rare that we get up close and personal with any of the voices that are influencing us. In the digital age, in the media age, most of the teaching you listen to and that influences you, and I'm not just talking about Bible teaching, I'm just talking about all the influence that's, that's shaping you and you don't even realize it is. Most of it coming from sources you will never know, you will never meet, you're just a consumer out there consuming, you see. Part of the lessons to me of this text is this idea of we, we need to be especially mindful of that. And this is why, by the way, that, that I want to know you and I want you to know me and Lloyd and our elders and our other pastors. And I want you to be known among yourselves in fellowship groups. It's why, you know, we love the digital stuff. In fact, it's been a blessing to us in COVID. Many of you right now are home watching and I'm glad that you are, but there's no replacement for incarnational ministry. There's no replacement for being the body of Christ together. And there's no replacement for, for me being in your physical presence where you can come down and meet me afterward, which I'd love to do, by the way, if I haven't met you yet, run into each other out in the lobby, et cetera. This is the reason why we don't necessarily have 12 campuses around with me and Lloyd on videos everywhere. And again, it doesn't mean that those models of church are necessarily unbiblical or wrong. But in order to examine fruit, you have to get up close and personal with it. So what do you look for? What do you look for for spiritual fruit? We talked about literal truth, literal fruit. What do we look for for spiritual fruit? Let's let Paul describe it in Galatians chapter five. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you get close enough to a person to know him or her beyond just their teaching, 
beyond just their words. And you find these things. You know the Spirit of God is there. Because this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the produce, the product of the Spirit. Where the Spirit is, over time will be produced love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Where the Spirit is not, or where the Spirit is quenched or diminished, you will not find this kind of fruit. That's not to say we should expect perfection. You know, when I cut into that pear, it was a good pear. It tasted good. It smelled good. It looked good. It wasn't perfect. There were parts of the pear were just a little bit off color, but it was still good fruit. It was not diseased. So it's not to say that we should expect perfection, but here's the idea. The measure of a spiritual leader or a spiritual teacher or a truth influencer is not charisma. It's not gifting. It's not knowledge. It's not intelligence. It's not oratory skill. It's the spiritual fruit that comes from a heart that is being transformed by Jesus. Not perfectly, but steadily over time. And in that sense, guys, there, it's not just the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of Jesus. Obviously, because they're one, you've got that trinity. But, but even more, think about Jesus. He perfectly embodied the fruit of the Spirit more than any other human. You just think about him and his actions and his words and, and love, joy, peace, patience, every single one of them. He embodied these characteristics because he was 100% yielded to the Spirit. Guys, I'm not 100% yielded to the Spirit. Neither are you. Neither is your small group leader. Neither is your favorite podcast preacher. Neither is any of our elders. And, and, and yet, if you get up close and personal enough with someone to see over time, am I seeing the fruit of the Spirit in them? Or, or coming from them instead looks more like the unlove, the unpeace, the ungrace, the opposite of those things. So here's what I want to say when, you know, we're called not to judge, you know, that was at the start of chapter seven. And yet here Jesus is calling us to discern. And you got to hold both of those things in tension. Now, part of the application of that, he's now talking about prophets, so to speak, those who claim to teach, those who claim to speak for God. And, and I want you to know, ultimately, Jesus is the good tree who produces the good fruit. There, there is no other one like Jesus whatsoever. But you can start to use the Jesus filter. And you can, you can say this, you can say anyone who produces the fruit that looks like Jesus, which is the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God is there. Anyone who produces fruit that does not look like the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of Jesus, is not speaking for God. They may have some interesting things to say. They may have some helpful things to say, but they're not speaking for God. So when examining those who influence you through media of all kinds, a good question to ask, a couple questions, do they sound like Jesus? Do they act like Jesus? Can I see the fruit of the Spirit in them? Or are they super smart and talented and maybe they even know the Bible really well? They're likely quite sure of themselves. 
but there may not be much of Jesus in them. And we have to do this with a lot of humility, don't we? We have to examine with a lot of humility. And there's another place that we look for the fruit, not just in their own lives. Let's put the image of the tree back on. Can you put the image of the tree back on, if you don't mind? Not just the fruit on the tree, but the fruit that's being multiplied by the tree in us. So we should also examine the fruit produced in us by listening to their teaching, by being influenced by them. So right here is a massive application for us in our time. And I wanna, if I step on toes, I, God's word is speaking through this text. And, and I believe this is the application for us. We need to start paying attention to the fruit produced in us by the media we are consuming. And when I say media, I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the, the main media sources. I just mean all, everything you're consuming, you know, the, the, the blogs, the podcasts you listen to, the YouTube videos, the articles you read, the social media feeds you follow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We consume more information and more opinions and messages per capita than any generation before us by far by far. And by the way, for our kids, it'll be even more. And our grandkids, it'll be even more than that. Here's something we don't like to admit, but it's true. The voices we pay attention to are shaping and molding us into their image. You may not like it. You may not want to admit it. It's just true. The voices we pay attention to are shaping and molding us into their image. And many of the so-called voices that, that we're reading and, and listening to and influenced by may claim a biblical worldview. They, they may have some things that sound very much like truth, but they're not producing in us the fruit of the Spirit. They're not producing in us the character of Jesus. And again, guys, I'm, I'm thinking about our time and I'm thinking about sheep's clothing in the wolves. And I'm thinking about Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those when you're persecuted. And, and I'm, I'm thinking the reason that those words sound so strange, even to our Christian world, our Christian context, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. The reason they sound strange is because a lot of what's influenced us is not necessarily from the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, we have this in common with Jesus' day. His harshest words were for those who claimed to be on God's side. His harshest words were those who claimed to have truth on their side, but their fruit was nothing like the fruit of the Spirit. So maybe the question for our day is this. Is the media I'm consuming helping to produce the fruit of the Spirit in me or other kinds of fruit? Are the messages and voices that influence me making me more like Jesus or less like Jesus? I want to press in a little further still. I want to encourage some of you, not all of you, this is where discernment comes in, but I want to encourage some of you to back off certain websites, certain radio shows, certain social media, certain YouTube channels. And guys, I don't have anything specific in my mind. I promise I don't. 
But I want to encourage you to back off some of these things, not because they represent the wrong side of the debate necessarily, but they're producing in you the wrong fruit. Maybe they're producing in you anger instead of joy, arrogance instead of kindness, hard-heartedness instead of gentleness, fear instead of peace, suspicion of others instead of love for others. And of course, this doesn't mean we should bury our heads in the sand and just be like, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts. No, no, no. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus engaged the world and he engaged the world with truth. He did not mince truth, but he combined truth with the fruit of the spirit. He combined truth with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And that's what we're called to do. So find voices that are teaching a biblical worldview, but doing it in a way that also is bearing the fruit of the spirit. And those are hard to find. For many of us, we need to change our media diet for the sake of our souls. Not the sake of our eternal salvation, but I'm talking about the softness of our hearts. You know, Jesus wants our posture to be open-handed, not closed-handed. He wants us to be compassionate toward people, not defensive and agitated and dug in. And so cut out the things that are producing bad fruit in you and seek the things that make you more like Jesus. Seek out teachers and leaders who engage the world the way Jesus engages the world with truth and a tremendous amount of grace and love and peace and patience and kindness. So let me just tell you what this has looked like for me because I, I, I had to like do a gut check and say, I need to apply this message to myself before I can get up on the stage and teach it. So here's what I've started doing. I've started thinking about it this way. Let me identify things that stir my affection for Jesus, that make me love him more. And let me spend more time in those things. So here's what I've done. I've actually changed some of the Bible teachers that I like to listen to. I'll start there. Um, I've started, or I've been seeking, I've started listening more to Bible teachers who not just know the Bible thoroughly, that's crucial, important, but also love Jesus passionately. Because I want that produced in me. Uh, I've tried to find movies or novels that, that carry stories of redemption because stories of redemption are, are essentially the, the whole heart of God is about redemption. And by the way, not all these have to be Christian movies or Christian books, but they're stories of redemption. Finally, I've been trying to seek out certain musical artists whose music seems to awaken my soul to God, creating me some awe and wonder and gratitude and, and, and push it in the right direction. So as I've been thinking about this, I've, I wanted to get even more practical still. So what have been a couple of things that I could share with you just by way of example that have stirred my affection for Jesus in the last 12 months? And I wanna give you a book and I wanna give you a show. Here's the, here's the book. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Uh, I wanted to read this book because, because of the byline, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. What the author does in this book is he just takes that one verse that talks about the heart of Jesus. There's only one verse in the Bible that says this is the heart of Christ. And I don't remember the reference actually, but it's the verse that says, um, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden for my heart is gentle and lowly you know, and I will give you rest. And he takes that one verse and he comes at it from 18 different angles, something like 18, there's one, one, one for each chapter. And it's a short read, but he's saying, is this really true? And he digs deeper. Is Jesus really for us as sinners? Is he really in, with us in our suffering? Is he for us? And if you're in that place where you just need your heart just melted to the love of Christ, this is a great book to melt your heart. The second is a show. Many of you are familiar with this. Some of you are the ones that told me about this show to begin with. 
the chosen. Do yourself a favor if you've not watched it. Go home even tonight and, and just start watching it. it. For me, it grew on me a little slowly. You know, it took me like episode maybe four and then I was really in it. Episode like six, I was weeping and seven and eight, I was just, it was just my love for Jesus was overflowing. Uh, one thing, because you'll ask me is, you know, if you watch this show, you'll be like, Rob, not everything in here comes straight from scripture. Here's what I want to say, having watched this now a couple times, all episodes, it is faithful to the biblical text. And they also imagine what might have been like for Peter's backstory or Mary Magdalene's backstory or John's backstory but it's faithful to the biblical text. And I think they do a really good job of balancing that. And it has stirred my heart for Jesus. And I wanna encourage you to watch it if you haven't yet. You can find it on YouTube, I'm pretty sure. You can download their app and watch it there. You can hit a button and it'll stream to your you know, smart TV. You can also download the VidAngel app. I think it's on there as well. So there's different ways you can get to it. All right, two great recommendations, but let's apply this more to everyone more generally. Here's our closing slide. Jesus, show us what it means to follow you. Question that I would invite you to ask this week. What teachers are you influenced by? And by the way, it's not just preachers. Teachers can be the videos you watch. What, 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 what teachers, what influencers are in your life? What media are you watching? Spend some time examining the fruit in their lives if, as well as you can and the fruit in your life, even more importantly, that results from their influence. Is it producing the fruit of the Spirit in you or is it producing other things? And then finally, find the things that stir your affection for Jesus and spend more time with those things. For some of you, it's not even media. For some of you, there's a person. There's an aunt or a grandma or a friend or a neighbor. So when you're with them, your, your affection for Jesus tips up. Go spend time with them this week. For some of you, it might be, you know what? When I get out in nature and I don't bring my AirPods, I don't bring anything else other than just my own self and presence and, and God's, go out, find find a good day to do that. Maybe it's a book you need to reread. Maybe for you, it's poetry. Maybe it's a movie that really moved you and produced in you gratitude to God. Find things that stir your affection for Jesus. I heard one guy said he likes to walk through cemeteries. You know, and I get it. There's something about being in that context. It just kind of makes you reflect on life and just stir gratitude for Jesus. Find things that stir your affection for Jesus. You will never obey Jesus if you don't love him. And most of us sing that we love him. We say that we love him. We do all these things. And if we're honest, deep down, it's like, I don't know how much I really love Jesus. I believe in him. But I don't know that my heart has, has grabbed on and just said, Jesus, I just... I'm overflowing with affection. If, if you're in that place right now, find things that stir your affection for Jesus and spend more time there. And speaking of that, that's how I want us to close the service this morning. One thing that stirs our hearts for Jesus is music, is worship. We're gonna worship together. We're gonna sing this song together. So let's stand to our feet and let's worship the risen Christ together.